goodness, there's a strong ending. Good morning. We have gathered to worship the Lord, a traditional greeting on Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's the good news. We gather today, it's the culmination of a whole series of events that actually goes back for thousands of years through the writings of Moses, through the historical books, the wisdom and the prophecy, always looking forward to this moment, Jesus said. It's all about me, is what he said. And then because of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross, from the now empty tomb, he offers life. And not just life as the world can give, but life as only God could create us to experience. So that's good news. Part of Easter is the challenge of kind of grabbing the surprise. Last week I said that Holy Week is a celebration for Christians. We're kind of accustomed to the calendar of Holy Week. Well, for the people living it the first time, it was utter bewilderment. Looks like a king, but he's talking about death. Thought he could rule, but he's on the cross. So I'd want to try to communicate that sense of bewilderment that's really a part of getting started in Easter. Hear the call to worship. I'm taking this from the Gospel of John. It's part of John's account of that first morning. Hear this word. Now, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, the good news is we do. Let's stand up and sing about it. Hymn number 182, Christ is risen today.
Amen. And have a seat. That is worth celebrating. Thank you all. Well, good morning and welcome. Those of you here on site, it's a beautiful day in Michigan. We're thankful, uh, friends, family, visitors, that we can gather here today to celebrate the fulcrum point of all human history, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And for those of you online, uh, I continue to be thankful for the opportunity for us to take this moment with God in his presence and be a part of your time and your place. To those who can't get out or for those who are far away, for those who for whatever reason are unable to be here, welcome. The Lord Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit to give us hope and life together. It is a great day to be together. As you can see, we'll have communion this morning. Uh, I'll ask those who are online to begin to prepare at your own location for that. And we want to extend the invitation of Christ to the table of Christ on the terms of Christ to all God's people. This is in a CRC church, but I'm an evangelical Presbyterian church pastor and it's Jesus who died for the table. We'll talk more about that, but begin even now to prepare your hearts. Later on in the service, after the Lord's Prayer, I'll dismiss our kids, grades three and down. Uh, they'll actually head out the back today, and if you want to send them down for age-graded uh, children's ministry, we have that. Um, also, what we call family-friendly space in the balcony for uh, children to quietly kind of color and do things as they need, a little noisier space in the library, and then, as I say, all stops off uh, with the nursery with uh, care there. So it's good to be together. Um, after the service this morning, I'm not going to do my usual question and answer. I really enjoy and appreciate a time to preach and then to sit down with folks and listen, uh, interact with questions. Preaching is kind of one way, if you've ever noticed. So I look forward to those times to have two-way communication. But today we're just going to spend time, coffee, juice, donuts, and fellowshipping. So take advantage of that. Meet somebody you may have not spoken with ever before and say hello. Uh, God is at work to bring us together. A couple of um, key announcements I want to make. One, we're launching a new podcast, and this is the Holland Symphony Orchestra. Make sure I've got them. There we go. A new podcast where what we're going to do is interview various Hardawake leaders and people and regular folks. And so Jeff Lies, who's the uh, president of our council, we've got about a 15-minute conversation with him and his faith and what it means to serve Christ where he is. And each month, you'll get to meet a new Hardawake person. Another thing that'll be happening, um, the Holland Symphony Orchestra will be here with an ensemble concert, we're calling it, various small groups of uh, orchestra players, Sunday evening the 23rd. Part of our vision and ministry is to welcome the community um, and make available space like that as we did with the Rehoboth School Choir. That was great fun. Part of that calling is this, that we believe we've been called to welcome everyone, invite everyone to join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. Those key words, found in, that's what it means to have a relationship of faith, formed by, that's where we're pointing to he forms us rather than we pick and choose as best we can. And then finally following because it's a day by day, step by step. And I'll put this up as well. 
We're always happy to have contact with folks through the week. If you will text the word CONNECT to that phone number, whether from our online or whether from here this morning, uh, you'll get a form. You can share a request with us. I'd be happy to speak with you on phone or coffee or just whatever works. So we try to empower people to have that uh, ability to reach in and um, extend, and we're happy to spend time with you. The faith that we celebrate today is not ours to invent. That's what I mean when I say we're called to be formed by. But we are part of a worldwide movement. You know, Christianity across the globe is probably the fastest growing faith on the planet right now. It's not growing in the West among folks who look like me, but among Africans, Asians, Hispanics. The faith we hold is increasingly being represented in the Southern Hemisphere and in the East. We're just a part of something much, much bigger. And some of that bigger is something that goes back across centuries. So I love to remember our heritage and our faith because we share this with them. We're going to use Heidelberg Catechism question number 45. And here's the question for the day for Easter. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. That's the hope that we celebrate this day. Let's do some more singing. You know, uh, my doctoral studies were in the history of renewal across 20 centuries. And one of the things I've learned looking at history is that every time the Spirit moves in a great way to draw people to Himself, there's a tremendous outpouring of the arts. That a God who would create would redeem people and encourage their creativity. I believe it was John Wesley who said, the best theology is a sung theology. So let's stand up and do that. Hymn number 186, as you're able, low in the grave he lay.
wood. Uh, before we turn to prayer, I, I want to remind us we live as believers, but we live in a world around us. Here's an American history trivia question. The category is the difference that a week can make. Palm Sunday, 1865. What happened? General Robert E. Lee surrendered. The Civil War was over. Good Friday, 1865. What happened? Lincoln was assassinated. Another challenging season of American history. Here's a world history truth, same category. Palm Sunday, a cheering crowd in a small city on the distant edge of the Roman Empire. They thought they were about to get the king of their dreams. Good Friday. They instead were given the savior that we all need. Oh, the difference a week can make. Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness into light, that by your mercy, uh, we've seen your grace, and in faith, we say, yes, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And so we join the journey to be found in, formed by, and following. Shape us day by day, I pray. We pray together in this moment for uh, Heart of Wike Ministries, the umbrella, as it were, that uh, covers a variety of things. We pray for Neighbors Plus. We pray for Function, the middle school event that'll happen this coming Friday. We thank you that you work through us together in ways you could never work through us by ourselves. So bind us together as a people bound in faith and an honest relationship. Not perfect, but having seen one who is and drawing closer to him. We pray today for Watershed and for Pastor Aaron as he opens the scripture to preach with his people there in the anchor. For Pastor JB, right across the hall with us, who will be preaching in fusion. And for Mission, where Pastor Florencio, right where I'm standing, will preach in the Spanish language in just a few hours. We thank you that from this place, indeed, to the utter ends of the earth, from your throne as the center, the gospel goes forward. We pray for persecuted sisters and brothers, for the growing church in Iran and communist China, for the suffering church in Ukraine, for other places where people stand firm in the faith and minister by your grace in the midst of difficult circumstances. We pray for them. Father, this day you've brought us as your people a celebration. So bind us together in love for one another. Uh, there are people with difficult diagnoses, have need for your healing touch, people feeling isolated, pressed by the times. We come with concerns for others. We come with gratitude and thankfulness for many, many things. Thank you that in this moment, I'm gonna encourage you just in the silent sanctuary of your own heart to give thanks or to lift a need to the Lord 
as it may press in on you. Take this moment and seek God with your prayer. Father, the book of Revelation gives us this picture of prayer rising to you as incense around your throne. And so even now, receive these multitude of prayers and have your way. Thank you that you always give us the answer for what we would have asked for if we knew everything that you do. So now, Abba Father, we simply come and ask, guide us into what you have for us. Now, your word instructs us to pray for those in authority over us, and we do that each week. Our uh, sphere of authority this week in our rotation is the state of Michigan. So we pray for Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Attorney General Nessel, and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. We pray that you would use them and other key elected officials as well as the staff and administrative uh, departments that work beneath them in the structure. We pray that you would lead and guide their hearts even when they don't understand. Make the, the heart of the king, it says in Proverbs, like a river in your hand. We pray, too, for the State House representatives, uh, DeBoer and Slaw, for Senator Roger Victory. We pray that in your mercy, you would uh, meet each one of them and guide them. Father, we pray, too, for missionaries from Hardawike. I pray for Zach and Christy Yoder and for their family in Nigeria. We pray that they might uh, be used of you to help your word be translated into the heart language of many people. Guard them, guide them, use them to your glory. Thank you that we get to be a part of your great work. Now, Father, uh, hear our prayer. I will pray using the words of Scotty Smith, who's shaped my own prayer. This week he prayed this way, Lord Jesus, your glory is our chief aim and your cross is our only boast. We are clothed with your righteousness and we are shepherded by your tenderness. You are high and exalted, yet gentle and lowly, impossible to contain, yet you inhabit our hearts. You are ruler of the kings of earth and welcomer of the smallest of children. Jesus, you never cease praying for us, for Hebrews 7.25 says that you ever live to intercede, and you never pause in rejoicing over us as the prophet Isaiah said. You work in all things for our good, and you will finish making all things new. Your perfect love expels our fears, and your hoped-for return ignites our hope day to day. Father, continue to build and equip your people to glorify you and serve others. Cultivate in us the heart of prayer as we pray together, just as the Lord Jesus has given us these words, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. At this point, I see 
uh, Miss Janet. Any kids, grades three and younger, who want to head out for children's ministry, she's in the back there. Just kind of sneak out. Now's your moment, and she will escort you. Otherwise, you've got me. How's that for a threat? <laughs> I'm glad the rest of you are staying. It kind of encourages me. That's good. Okay, so they're off. I will send them to all that the Lord has for them. Well, good morning. Oh, here we are again. It's, it's always interesting. I love these moments when we're together, but you would not believe all the people who have been at work, praying, figuring out things, getting stuff done so that we could be here. Whether it's parents who took children to music lessons years ago, whether it's those who prepared this week, or even today, we've had to figure some things out real quickly. We're here, and I'm thankful that I'm just the tip of an iceberg of a bigger team. I'm glad that you can be a part of that as well. Now, a couple of things before I read the scripture. Uh, overall, we've spent this year working through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, taking the New International Version translation in a kind of edited form that lets us focus on the key narrative. It's called the story. And for this week, we were looking at, what was it, Deb, chapter 20? Uh, seven, the four resurrection accounts. Remember, there's four gospels, four tellings of the facts around the life of Jesus, and that gives us a multidimensional, very robust, full picture of Jesus. So we've read those um, through the course of this week. A couple of quick things I would say. First of all, this morning I'm going to read from just two verses of Mark, and I don't have time to go into it, but if you're looking in the Pew Bible, you'll see that it has a note about verses 9 through 20 and doesn't include those. That's if you're like me, a fascinating question about archaeology and text transmission and things like that. I could talk for hours about the fascinating things with that. Rather than do that, I put it in a blog. I'm happy to entertain questions, but we're going to move, move on. I'm going to focus on verses 6 and 7. And because it's such a short passage, I want to make sure that you understand who he is when we read this. Uh, I'll begin with, don't be alarmed. He said, the he, the pronoun refers to an object. Mark says is a young man. Well, we know from the other four gospels that that young man was actually an angel. But it's very consistent with Mark's recounting of these events in the life of Jesus. He's all about action. Remember, there's no birth narrative in Mark. He just says the beginning of the gospel and he's at it. He uses the word immediately more than any other writer in the whole New Testament. And so obviously he wants to get to the point here. They saw a young man. He's not going to include the details about how they discovered later he was an angel. So that's who he is as we read. Friends, I'm following the lead of my colleague JB who asks Fusion each Sunday as they read the scripture. Will you join me out of respect? an appreciation for the word, and stand as I read from the word of God. This is the word beginning in Mark chapter 16 and verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was, past tense, crucified. He has risen. He is 
not here, present. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see future, will see him just as he told you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated if you would, and let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've loved us so much that you would condescend, as it were, to speak into human language and human history, human events. In an amazing way, uh, you've moved on the life of a young man, John Mark, as he talked with his mentor, Peter, as he knew the apostle Paul and the other disciples. And as he gathered these stories in his own way, his own sense of energy and focus and immediacy. So he wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So you've preserved these texts across centuries by the work of your Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue your presence and work. Illumine our hearts and minds, guide our uh, meditation, my prayer and study through this week. And by your mercy, help us to receive a, a deeper, more life-giving sense of your gospel. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his amazing and marvelous love. Fill us with great hope. Guard your people from my brokenness and confusion. But make Jesus known, for we pray in his name. Amen and amen. Indeed, friends, this changes everything. But if I could kind of hop in Doc Brown's DeLorean and go back to that first Sunday, grab that moment in history where they stand at the mouth of the empty tomb, you'd have to realize this is an alarming moment. That's what Mark says. This is a time when the amygdala kicks into gear for everybody there. The amygdala is that part of the brain that serves the, an important purpose for human flourishing. When it faces trauma or surprise or threat, it moves automatically with fight, flight, or freeze behaviors. This Easter morning begins with an amygdala moment. There is more than enough good reason to be concerned. It's shocking. It's frightening. It's threatening. They come across this young man, but what does he say? He says, you're here looking for what you expect. And what did they expect? Certainly not an empty tomb. Certainly not a stone rolled away. Certainly not a, a, a well, they'd figure out later it was an angel. No, they had been there a few days. They were eyewitnesses. They knew that Jesus was indeed killed. It wouldn't be till centuries later that the rumor would spread in certain parts of the world that, oh, Jesus just passed out and was revived. They'd been there. The eyewitnesses knew he was killed. And now as they looked at the tomb, they knew that indeed he was missing. They could see that he wasn't there where he should have been. And friends, not only was he missing, but they could quickly begin to think about the consequences. The civil and religious powers, the institutional power, had hated Jesus and framed him, made sure that he was killed. What were they going to do now that the body is missing? 
See, the people that first day, they too were threatened. The same people who killed Jesus would certainly be after them. The Romans had even proactively placed guards to prevent this very thing from happening. Those who had killed Jesus would now be intent on doing away with his powerless followers. No wonder so many people were in hiding at this point. There really was cause for alarm. But stop for a minute, and I'm not going to dwell here, but just think about your world, where you work, where you live, where you go to school. Think about your family and circle of relationships. I want to tell you, just as I've tried to point out the causes for legitimate alarm that first Easter, I'm just going to suggest to you that we have plenty of those in our own moment. There's cause for alarm in our circumstances. Now, different ones of us will be alarmed at different circumstances. One person is alarmed by list, list A. Another person is alarmed by a different list, list B. My guess is that about half of either list is enough for legitimate concern. I could begin to go over those, but I won't. I want you to hear the good news instead. But put this marker down. There is ample reason for concern in the life that we live right here, right now. And I want to tell you something that I've discovered. It's taken me years. But the response of denial or avoidance, you know, we, we call that putting our head into a, the sand like, like an ostrich is the metaphor. Well, I have figured out that if you put your head in the sand, you get kicked in only one place. <laughs> denial and avoidance are never the answer. Christian faithfulness, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are called in response and gratitude to pray for and to pursue shalom. That's wholeness. We're committed to both justice and reconciliation, both liberty and responsibility, both opportunity and security. And somehow in our world, it feels like we've crossed some sort of tipping point as a culture. Mark's record of Easter morning seems so insightful for our life. There is sure reason for concern, but the gospel interrupts and replaces that concern. It interrupts and says, he is risen. It replaces confusion with calling. Come and live for something greater. You see, after addressing their alarm, this angel changes course. But, in verse 7, our amygdala may be an important and healthy response, but it ought never be the final word. Does that make sense to you? When you're in alarming circumstances, be alarmed, but don't let that be the final response. We can respond differently to circumstances, even when they're alarming. And this is what the angel is calling them to do. He says, first of all, do not be alarmed. Oh, he's aware of the threats, but he's aware of even more. He grasps the meaning of the empty tomb. And so he says, go and tell. Don't be alarmed. Go and tell. It's an instead sort of clause. 
You see, growing out of the trusting obedience that comes as a new and deeper encounter with Jesus, we can live differently. We're not alarmed. We go and tell. Jesus, the same Lord and Savior, is now active in new circumstances and new situation in their life and in ours. Go and tell. Now, it's interesting to me. I'll just hit two things in passing. First of all, the angel does not give them a 20th century long blueprint for activity and plan. He just says, go do this. How many times in your walk with Christ have you heard a sense, take a step, but you're thinking, oh, but I need four or five steps for me to be safe taking this one step. I want to tell you, take one step with Jesus. That's often when the next step gets opened up. And there's something in this passage as well. The angel says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. I can just imagine Peter, who was a key source for Mark in collecting and confirming these events. Peter was aware that the risen Jesus rose for him personally. Him, Peter, the one who'd said, oh no, I don't know him. Not once, not twice, but three times, just a few days ago. The angel has instructions, personal and specific. He was calling me, Peter would have told Mark. Make sure the one who publicly denied knowing me gets this public invitation to keep returning to me. When you do all this, the good news is you will see him, the risen Jesus, the personal encounter beyond just personal impression. The angel doesn't say, and you will understand the theology finally. The angel doesn't say, and you will finally start obeying the law. Doesn't even say you will finally begin to live up to my expectations. No, he says, there you will see him. Good news. And it gets better. All this will happen just as he told you. Just as he told you. See, God in his grace and mercy has spoken to us for us. The Spirit speaking through the written Word of God becomes our hope and our understanding. That's where our minds are illumined to the truth and hope of the gospel. I want to go back in this moment to something that the disciples would have heard just a few days earlier in John 15. This is John's memoir, his record of that, those last hours with Jesus in the upper room. He gathered with his disciples, probably with others as well. They had the Passover meal, and that became the Lord's Supper for us because he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. There's something that Jesus said in that moment, just a few days before, that would come back to mind for them. Go and tell them, and this will happen just as I have told you. He had told them, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch. Do you think cutting hurts? Do you think it's painful to be trimmed? You ought to, because it is. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I don't have clear, simple, one-sentence answer to why there is human suffering. 
but I know one component, one thread to that tapestry would be that God is pruning from us that which will not bear fruit so that that which will can bear even more. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus, from the empty tomb, could point back to these words and remind us that we are a branch and we're not the tree. We're not the earth. We're not the center of all reality. As is wont to say, it just ain't about you or me. You are the branch, not the vine. Therefore, abide in order to flourish. You see, in the empty tomb, the risen Jesus opens a pathway to the only true human flourishing there is. We were built and created, we're redeemed to abide in him. You know, I love working with JB and Aaron and Darwin. This week, as we were looking at the scriptures, we were praying and talking about how to communicate the good news of the gospel of God's grace, clearly and understandably compelling. We were reminded once again of the challenge and difficulty we face in this particular time. So I've got to not only say what's true, but I'm concerned about what people hear about how it strikes their hearts in light of their experience or their convictions or their values. So not only what I say, but what's heard. Here's a statement. I invite you to live into who you truly are. Well, that kind of sounds encouraging. And I would extend it to you. The invitation to live in to who you truly are. But here's the challenge. This is what we were discussing. Who gets to define who you truly are? Makes a world of difference. You see, more and more in our day and time, there's this idea that I am the only one who can define me. I think we hear the voice of Jesus from the empty tomb. No, I am Lord and Savior. I can tell you who you are better than you can know yourself. This is a point of challenge in the gospel. I invite you to live into who you truly are, but more than that, I invite you to be set free from the slavery of self and to receive by God's grace the hope and identity of more than you could ever ask or imagine. Yes, Aaron and JB and I will plead with our people and say, come, we invite you to live into who you truly are, but please understand, it's God through what Jesus did on the cross, who is in the best position to show you who you truly are, to call you into abundant life, to abide as you abide in him, to flow through you that you bear fruit. 
Because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, he now offers to us from the empty tomb a calling for each of us. It will be unique. It will be special. It will reflect the gifts that he gives. It will reflect the experiences that you've been through, but it will always be for your flourishing, for his glory, and for the benefit of others. A calling. I'm not offering you a way to get what you want. Oh, gosh, Pastor Bill, I, 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 you can go other places for that. The world is handing that out. They're not delivering. You can find places where they'll gather and tell you you can be all that you want to be. I'm telling you, better yet is that you can be all that God has called you to be. That by abiding in him, you can bear fruit beyond what you ever asked or imagined. See, this is where things lead us to, friends. Because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, from that empty tomb, he's calling us to be a people of great shalom. But there can be no shalom apart from him. I love to use that word shalom. It's, we often translate it peace, but it's much bigger than the cessation of conflict. Peace might be there's no more shooting in my neighborhood. Shalom would be we're actively loving and caring one another in my neighborhood. We're taking the elderly to their doctor's appointments. We're helping the little kids in school. We're joining together and sharing money to start businesses. We're supporting families when there's a crisis. That's shalom when it's all working as it was meant to be. Friends, I want to tell you something about human life. There can be no shalom from being in control. How many times have you felt circumstances press you with alarm and you just want to control? We often call that the mom reflex. I want to tell you, there is no shalom from being in control. That's because you or I do not have the resources to control at all. So don't go looking for control to find peace. There will be no shalom by self-determination. Again, I just don't have the perspective, the insight. I've, I've told this story on myself before. When I was 15, I had life figured out. Life was about football and cheerleaders. <laughs> Until I broke my leg. And then life became, once I got out of the cast and could walk again, then life became about rock and roll. The consistent thing here is the girls, from cheerleaders to rock and roll. I watched my friends kill themselves. Slowly sometimes, quickly other times, seeking shalom where it could not be found. And fortunately in the midst of that, God in his grace reached out to me, I responded with faith, and there began to be a shalom. Friends, the world was not built for me to be in control. The world was not built for you to be in control. It was built for God to be in control. The empty tomb is Jesus saying to the world, I'm Lord, adjust. In the same way, we were not redeemed simply to control our lives, to get out of life what we want. We were redeemed in order for God to live and move in us and to 
call others to himself. Go and tell. A few weeks ago, I used an illustration about what it means to be created for something and to not be using it for that. It was my marvelous little Honda. I've got a four-cylinder Honda car that I've been able to get to run without gas. Some are laughing because they remember this. It's easy. All I have to do is push that car up to the highest point, and then I have to not want to go anywhere that it can't roll to from there. My car was not built for that. It was built for more. How many are living as if I've been given a life, but it's all about me. It's where I can roll to. It's about what hill I can push it up. I saw a video this week that reminded me of that very thing. It was two people trying to put gas in their car, and they kept saying, but, but it's on E. I've got to get gas before it runs out. I can't drive anymore. And the person with the video phone kept pointing out to them that it was a Tesla. You know how much good gasoline does for an electric vehicle? At best, none. I would be concerned about it catching fire. We were not created or redeemed. This world was not meant for us to control. We study it, we learn, wonderful. It was not meant for our self-determination. There is a greater one who loves us and would give his life for us and invites us to receive that he might live his life through us. This plays out and is important. One of my favorite um, researchers in this day and time is a pediatrician by the name of Dr. Leonard Sachs. I often uh, put uh, links to his stuff in our uh, celebration informed email, a quote from him. A recent um, review article that he did for the Institute of Family Studies began this way. A mom brought her six-year-old daughter into the office with a fever and a sore throat. I asked the little girl to open her mouth and say, ah, she shook her head and clenched her mouth shut. Mom, it looks like I'm going to need your help here, I said. Could you please ask your daughter to open her mouth and say, ah. Mom responded by arching her eyebrows and saying emphatically, her body, her choice. Now, Dr. Sachs, don't miss the point here. I risk this. Dr. Sachs is not concerned about raising six-year-olds who will be advocates for abortion rights. There's something deeper here, namely, how do people learn to flourish in their life? How do they learn to flourish? Dr. Sachs goes on to write, I'm seeing a growing number of parents who, like the mom I just described, parents who truly believe that it's virtuous to let the kid be in charge, even when the kid is a six-year-old with a fever who is refusing to let the doctor look at her throat. Scholars now find that the culture of the United States is increasingly a culture in which children rule. And that's, of course, the only way to live if truth is found inside and there's no reference point outside. There was a time when parents and families and schools, youth workers, we were all called to help children come to grips with the reality outside of their control. It would often go by the name of truth. 
and then develop lives that will flourish and benefit from things like doctors and medicine, but increasingly our neighbors and perhaps even among ourselves. We're convinced that reality is defined by each individual and that truth can only be discovered by looking inside oneself. As a result of that sort of thinking, it then becomes best not to convince a six-year-old to open their mouth for the doctor. Easter Sunday is an empty tomb with an angel and now 20 centuries of believers pointing to it and saying, wait a minute, Jesus is Lord. His life in you is what it means to flourish as a human. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the high call of your grace that you've called us broken people as we are and you've equipped us with a message greater than ourselves, greater even than what we're able to live into. And yet you've called us and you walk with us, you indwell us by your Holy Spirit, and you meet us step by step, day by day. We thank you for the good news of the empty tomb, even where it crashes our own yearning for self-control, our own amygdala kind of response of fear or flight. Help us not be alarmed, not because we're not living in alarming times, but instead because we've responded in faith to your grace. And we trust, indeed with Paul, we are confident of this very thing, that the one who began a great work in us will complete it unto that day. So Father, we are a broken people gathering at the cross, remembering the promise of the table. Guide us and fill us with hope and grace this day. Be with us in all things now, for we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Friends, in a moment, uh, we'll pray and I'll invite you to come forward down the center aisle. There'll be two stations here. You can take a cut piece of bread, pick it up and dip it lightly into the uh, cup, partake of the bread in the cup. If you're unable, there'll be someone to come forward. There'll be someone in the back to take care of that for you as there's need. But I wanna remind you that we come here as broken people, as sinners. This is not for the cool crowd. It's for the seeking Jesus crowd. I've said often here in celebration that a, 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 a vibrant, robust, biblical sense of what it means to be human teaches me three things. One, that every human I will ever meet marks, is marked by the image of God. They're image bearers, everyone. And that every human I will ever meet has a measure of brokenness in their life and their heart. Aspirations, sure, but, but brokenness as well. And thirdly, that for every human I will ever meet, Jesus went to the cross to give them offer of new life. I don't care who you meet, today or tomorrow, those three things will be true for them. Not because of them, but because of who God is. And so I've been thinking this past two weeks, I have a number of friends who are still doing ministry in really difficult neighborhoods, under-resourced, highly concentrated poverty, broken families, urban areas. Uh, 
So I've been concerned about the increasing level of violence and death that marks American cities. That's an alarm that I have. But something particularly reached me a few weeks ago. See, I'm Southern, I'm Presbyterian. I was pastor of a church with a school for a season. I've held my nine-year-old daughters. I've watched them struggle in their 20 and 30s. How do you navigate life? I want to tell you, I had to pray and wrestle. I kept remembering that for every human being, image bearer, broken and in need, and they offer the gospel. Audrey Hale, the shooter. Haley Scruggs, a nine-year-old. All third cutest child on the planet. My Nicole and my Rachel. But Audrey and Haley and I, image bearers, broken and in need. This day, the grace that has reached out to me, I responded in faith, would reach out to you in this table. I don't know Audrey or Haley's story. It's easy to assume things. I won't go there. But that grace reaches out to you. We come as needful people, not as people who found our way here. For you see, friends, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he said, this bread is now my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Take and eat. In this way, Jesus said this meal of centuries that pointed to a hopeful uh, redemption now is fulfilled in me, says Jesus. Fulfilled in me. That last Passover in that upper room became the first of the Lord's Supper. And we gather with God's people across centuries, across cultures to be right here. As I've said, we come on his terms. Sinners who found hope in Jesus, what he did on the cross, and how he calls us from the empty tomb. Let me pray. Father, take this, which is uh, very simple. The world sees merely bread and a cup. But by the work of your Holy Spirit and the promise of your word, meet each person. Speak your love and speak your calling to new life, to different life, to full life. Fill us by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. I'll ask at this point if those who will be distributing the elements, if you'd join me up here, uh, come forward, the four of you, and we'll... Uh, equip you for other people to be a part of this. Okay, and then I invite the people of God, come and receive the love of Christ.
Father, it was a still quiet morning, I suspect, when the gospel surprised, interrupted, even alarmed those first women and then the disciples who came and saw the empty tomb. I pray in that same loving, kind, tender way that you would alarm us with our desperate need, alarm us with the brokenness of the world for which you died, but then give us shalom through what Jesus did at the cross and what we remember at this table. And then by your grace, equip us to go and tell of justice and reconciliation, of hope in the midst of sorrow, your grace wherever and however we face the world we do. Be with your people. Be encouragement and kindness to each heart this day. Fill us with great hope. Thank you for the life together that you've called us to. Uh, be with us even as we declare your praise. For we make our prayer in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Closing hymn number 361, Because He Lives. As we head out, we'll be thinking about what it means to live in light of what we celebrate this day.
Friends, hear the blessing of God, his good purposes for centuries even prior to Christ. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Thank you.